Welcome back to the Swirl Suite, everybody. So we got a fun episode this week. Glennis is back from vacation. She gives us a really colorful description of her time in Colombia. Leslie, she tells us all about the women's history events that she's participating in. She's got a really fun brunch coming up. Lastly, I talk with Nicholas Ducos of Mural City Cellars, the first urban winery in Philadelphia, and I believe Pennsylvania. Before this episode gets started, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us like exactly where you went and how long you were there and what did you go there for? Is it technically a wine region or not? No, no. Okay. So I um, went to Colombia, South America, and we stayed in Cartagena and um, Cartagena is known for, it has the the wall city. That's where the Spaniards um, with fought, or the pirates, the Spanish would fight off any other um, colonizers that came to take over their land or whatever. But while they would bring um, slaves to this wall in the wall cities where they would sell them, but some of those slaves got away from the wall city and they settled in what they call Palenque now. And, and I mean, you could look at some of them like, okay, that's my cousin. That's probably my cousin. But I love y'all, but the rest of us made it. And I kind of regular toilet. I can't do this right here. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Would I go there again? I would most definitely go there again. Um, what Some things that I learned while I was there. I did not know that Colombia and parts of South America are known for emeralds, gold, and silver. So I bought emeralds, gold, and silver. Now I got to go out here and maybe sell. No, okay. No, I'm not going to say that on air. Okay. (laughs) So I would definitely go back to Cartagena because consistently when I was walking around, and it's very interesting, I was walking around, uh, you know, some of the, um, what do you call it? Not pilfers. Panhandlers, you my color, you my color. Now we had security walking around because where we stayed was a 12 bedroom villa with our own individual bathroom. So the whole place was ours and it came with two security guards and a house guy and two maids. So they, I was like, are we sequestered? Cause we couldn't go out of that building without one of them. Aren't you? Thankful now, almost definitely. Those um, people being kidnapped in Mexico. Okay, we that's another whole podcast because I got another whole thing in my head about what went down with that. I was very thankful. I'm gonna finish, I'm gonna finish that, then I'm gonna come back around to that uh, whole Mexican mess. Um, it's still very, it's still a very colorist society. I don't know if I'm making that word up because as African. United States American, African Americans, they were looking at you like, oh, you black as shit and you got security like that. What's going on? And we were in some of the restaurants where only people with money went to these restaurants. Because Brian is just like that. Brian, he he booked some of the best restaurants ever. Also, you would have been in culinary heaven. In some of these restaurants, I was like, oh my gosh, we would love this. Um, and we were, at one point, we were seated behind. Uh, now, it looked like we walked through the restaurant. I was like, okay, I know these young better have some white folks back here because if they just put all the black folks back here, I'm about to light their ass up. This is not going to work. Right. But nope, that wasn't the <laughs> that wasn't the case. There was, and some people saw us and wouldn't sit back there. And then some of the other, like, you know, some of the other rich ladies that were just so intrigued that we were in this restaurant they said right there. and that's how I looked around she was there so you know I like pull up my sleeve so okay now you can see the jewelry too so you stare and I'm gonna give you something to stare at and let's order some more wine how many let's of keep... how many of y'all was it oh we filled the bill it was 12 of us oh was okay oh so it was a big group was, okay yeah it was a big group and it was a big African-American so all hues but yeah so we had and we had a good time and I loved our guides, um, or, well, not our guides, but our um, security guy, security guards. And they, and Brian's like, well, we've already paid the t-. I said, I, we don't ran these security guards to death. I literally, 
when we wanted to go to the pharmacy, we wanted to go here, we were out shopping. I said, I got to go to the bathroom. I don't know. I can't make it. I can't make it. And I was knees to chest again, trying to find a deal. And he would go in different stores to see if, he, if I could use the bathroom. And we would find the bathroom that way. So I, I had no problem. But I would go back. I really loved it. I really loved it. And um, it, it, it makes you thankful. We work hard. We play hard. And you can't take this for granted. And more of these jokers around here throwing school away and acting a monkey need to see that kind of living because you're more privileged than you think. Did y'all see Chris Rock's stand up? I'm not ready. I'm I don't Me neither. Tell me about it. How was it? I saw I saw it. It wasn't bad. I mean some people really panned it, what have you. Mm -hmm. I think Did you like, like a couple of times. Okay. Um he first of all he didn't talk about the slap until the very end. Right. Um, he dragged the Kardashians, which I thought that was an unnecessary drag. I mean, it's old. Like, Are we still doing that? Yeah, it's. I, I mean, like, it's like, why do you keep them being so relevant? If everybody shut up and stop talking about it, they'll go into the uh, abyss. Yeah. Right. He he dragged Meghan Markle. Okay. I'm sick of him dragging her. Leave that girl alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, she got enough issues. Like, I think. Megan should just be silent. Like when you are married, you don't talk about your husband's people. <laughs> you let him talk about his people, right? That's the golden rule. I but let me ask you this. I'm your golden rule. I ask you this. But when your people, husband, people talk about me and treat me back, I can't say nothing about them. You can say something to him, but you cannot say anything publicly you can wear his ass out all day and all night but he needs to stand up for you because when he says something bad about your family in public then you're gonna be ready to drag him okay okay see that's why i'm single ain't never been married okay i understand <laughs> you have to hear it okay our listeners you gotta hear this from the married people and uh yeah see okay i learned something it's true. So, so yeah. he um. That makes sense, though. Right, right. Because then you gonna want to fight. You gonna want to fight his mama. Right. <laughs> and you will win. And then there's gonna be an issue. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Got you. Got you. Got you. I, 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 I totally understand. Totally, totally hearing what you're saying. Yep. Um. He also talked about, which I was surprised. He talked a lot about his daughters um in the stand-up and he jokes a lot about his infidelity which quite honestly this is why i think money is such the great equalizer because ain't none he could do for me i'll give a shit how much money that he's about ugly <laughs> as but no 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 money is the great equalizer sure for some because i can't do it he looked greasy and stuff. Well, hold, hold up, Glenn. It's like, what if, like, I mean, what if, you know, Chris is trying to scoop you, okay? Private jet on the island, your clean bathrooms like you like them, okay? I'm not going. Because <laughs> if I can't break he my... you, a, He giving you, <laughs> you know, I know. And the thing he is, don't want to kiss me or something, and I can't yeah. do it, so Rita. Well, he talked about, um, he talked about how he paid off now, a whole lot of student loans. Kelsey he, want to do that? I'm like, wait, hey. Wait a minute now. He did what now? He talked about how he paid off a whole lot of Howard student loans. Well, listen, oh, I give a little shoulder. Mine. I give a little shoulder now. <laughs> Take it back. Give a little shoulder. Take it back. Nope. Now, I read that they he, he was still focused or harping on... Um, What's the little girl name with the boy? Oh, Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett. They say, did he focus on her at all? He talked about for a hot second, but he was okay. mostly focused on well. What he talked about was, um, he said, which I think this is very odd, is how many people you know have infidelity in their relationship, and they go on. A, a podcast 
and interview the other one about why they were cheating on each other. That's what he he talked about Jada on um on Red Table. How how odd that was, which I you know in some respects I agree with that, and and to some people, not knowing the Smiths, I haven't been out to their house recently. Um, <laughs> I think they think it's like their mission um to teach people through their actions good or bad or what have you to help other people out i also think they were trying to get ahead of the story that she's sleeping with somebody who is her son's age sure yeah. and i also feel like they also want to put on display that you don't need to go the traditional route right you know you can mm -hmm. you can live life the way you want to with your loved ones it's gonna be i mean it's gonna be drama regardless right. you know it right. comes in many forms but yeah this is this is us we are 100 percent transparent and continue to watch our show and and then right on the side of um let's try to be politically correct not politically correct well maybe they do their own therapy. So they, their therapy, this is therapy, and but it's untraditional therapy where everybody can witness it. And they make money. Right. And, and, and I think, so what I was saying to one of my girlfriends today is at 20 something, I would say if he cheated on me, I would leave. Like, no questions asked. At the mature age that I am now, and I was married, let's preface that, and we have been married for 20 plus years. If he cheated now, it would be a conversation. Not saying that, you know, it would be an easy road home, mm -hmm. but it would be more of a conversation because 20 plus years into the game with this individual, is this a serial thing he's doing or is this like, you know what? I just, I, I want to stay. I want something different. I want to, you know, I'm going through my own thing. We need to talk about it. We need, you know, we need to address it there. What I will say, cause I, I read Will's book. Um, whenever this happened there, her entanglement, it could have been when they were separated mm -hmm. because they they weren't they weren't public about their separation but they were public about their indiscretions um real quick i don't even think her indiscretion or her, her entanglement was the main issue it was who she had it with i think so as well oh yeah you know i yeah. think that was the biggest problem but because did he say did that in the book didn't she have an entanglement with um Jennifer Lopez ex? They didn't mention that. They didn't in the book. They only talked about he only talked about the separation and the cause of the separation. What he thought the cause of the separation was, and what was that? And I thought that was Jennifer Lopez's ex was the cause of the separation, not this little boy. Because that was way before the little boy. No, he, he, it wasn't an individual that was the cause of the separation. Okay. The cause of the separation was his damn ego. And he had this image of what their life should be, how she should be grateful for all of the stuff that he gave. And he didn't take into consideration what she wanted. And so she was always compromising about, okay, I want, I'll do the big ass wedding, but I don't want the big ass wedding. I'll do the um, the ranch style where everybody and their mama is living on this compound and you're not here. So I got to be responsible for, you know, Trey's mom living here, your mom living here, every, you know, all these, because you want all your family around, what have you. It's my 50th birthday and I want something simple, but you want to do fireworks and a whole weekend or what have you enough. I'm tired of playing small to your ego. Wow. That makes, that makes total sense. I know Trey's mom was living there too. Yeah. 
Yeah, he had, he had, and has everybody. He's got like five or six little houses. Um, in that that you know when you see the red table, what had the big house, but there's other houses there. Um, where he wanted everybody. He he idolized the whole Dallas TV show where everybody was living there. And so his brother, he has a younger brother, twin brother, sister, and um, who is their real estate agent. And he had found this land and, and Will was like, yeah, I, I want that. And Jada was like, I don't want that. And he was like, no, this will be great. And he bought it anyhow. Wow. Now I can see, I understand that whole communal um, wanting and family, but your ex, it wasn't to have his son closer to him. Yeah. Because I okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's a little okay. okay. Wow, 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 wow. That's Ooh, still so other things, other things. Obviously, when you aren't being heard when your needs are not being met and you're compromising on who you are, then you look other way places. Mm -hmm. You have people fulfill your needs, either physically or emotionally or with Not substance. to mention, he had indiscretions as well. I know people, oh, people, you know, everyone loves to look at Jada like she was the only player in this game. But By no means. By no means. And I'm not saying that what she did wasn't fucked up. Like what I, I think right, it was right. highly inappropriate to have relations with your son's friend, you know, who was not in a great mental state. It was all messed up. But and yeah. he was there living on the compound too, right? <laughs> I don't know he if he was living, living on the compound. <laughs> but he was living there with them at one point. That's what I heard. Yeah. Oh, maybe he was. Yeah. But let me tell you. So uh, no shade, no judgment, right? I went to was this creeping. This all I went to this male review. That's oh. what they like to call it. And um, and I'm looking at these dancers, and I'm like, oh my god, they're my son's age. Like I cannot be hooping and hollering. It was very difficult. I was I was like, they're fine, but I'm like, oh no, that's gross. Type of situation. Wait, so what's the youngest guy you would date? And you too, Glennis. Oh, that all depends. Because Travis Kelsey is a lot younger, but let me tell you, fight, fight, fight. He likes chocolate too. What? Hey, little boy, let me teach you a little something, something. So that, oh, I'm not going to jail. Let's, let's, let's all be clear. You got to at some point be able to relate when I start talking about an old school James Brown song, you know, stylistics. You got to know a little something, something about how to slop. You at least, oh yeah, I remember such and such, right? There's some piece, some things that I don't compromise, but I don't know. I might try Travis though. Okay. Well, he is 33 and we have the same birthday. I just found that out. <laughs> 33 that's a that's 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 a grown man that's a grown man that's a grown ass man yeah i'm not doing no yeah. that, that's out yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no 30s depending on their financial situation and they don't look like chris rock yeah there we go leslie what about you my co-host I... mouths are dropped wide open. <laughs> well, let y'all know so y'all can't since y'all can't see us. But go ahead. I I would have to say probably forty. That that and and that would just be like like he would have to have all his ish together to yes, be most to, definitely to be forty. I agree. Mm -hmm. But Travis could get it. That's fair. Wow. Yeah. So this was a cute girls chat. Um, it's still Women's History Month. Leslie, you've got some events coming up. Please oh, tell yeah. everybody all about them. I am so excited about. I'm I'm like really happy about these events and. Um. I know not to prolong it because you asked me to talk about the events, but 
I'm just going to back up and say, when I first started the wine concierge, I thought I could sell wine to everybody, right? Because, you know, people drink wine like wine. Not the case. And it took it took a while for me to really figure out who my market is and who buys wine online. So then really niching down on who that is. Then I also spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out, well, we're going to have events. What type of events? are we going to have because it's for these audiences here. So we planned a weekend of events, which I might be tired as Cootie Brown on that Monday, but on the 25th of March, we're doing a fundraiser for the House of Ruth. Um, and we're partnering up with the social club that they, this is their second annual fundraiser. Um, and so we decided to donate the wine for this fundraiser. And um, part of the proceeds will go to the House of Ruth and you can also purchase, we have the shopping list, just like a baby shower, what have you, you can go on Target and donate to these women here. And it's just like basic stuff that you don't think about when mm -hmm. you are in transition, like, underwear, diapers, socks, diapers. Stuff, yeah, stuff like that. Like you don't cleaning products, feminine yeah. hygiene products. Yeah. You don't think about that. So basic stuff that would cost you like under $25 um, for that. So on Saturday, we have that at um, Bitter Grace, which is a sustainable clothing store um, in the Navy Yard. And then on Sunday, we have the panel discussion with Marvina Robinson from B. Stuyvesant Champagne. We have um, Chanel Taylor, who is the founder of Baudre and the Bose Fest and distributor. Um, and then we have Vanya Pedigree, who is the founder of Root Branch Coffee. And the panel discussion is about women, which is all three Black women changing the landscape of the beverage industry. And so when you go there, it's at Vanya's building and she actually has a media company that's opening a coffee shop in her building. Um, and you arrive and we will have a signature cocktail sponsored by Faudre. And then we will also be passing around champagne, not sparkling, but champagne. And there's um, going to be shopping while you're there. And um, Vanier's media company will be offering a headshot, also video. We, um, because, you know, some people may say we're bougie, but I think we're particular. We have developed a style guide. So a lot of people email us and ask us, well, what are we going to wear? What have you? We have a personal stylist. Who have she's picked out some looks. You can go to the style guide and purchase those looks, but she will also be on site to, um, to help you with your headshot. And also there's going to be a makeup artist and we just going to have some fun. So if you were interested in um, networking and just enjoying a good brunch with um, people who are about enjoying um, a lifestyle, then you should come out on Sunday the 26th in Baltimore. Looking for somewhere to advertise? Consider the Swirl Suite podcast. Yep, right here. The Swirl Suite is now open for pre-roll advertisements, mid-roll advertisements, or post-roll advertisements. Some of our packages even include a social media shout out. If you're interested in sponsoring one episode or perhaps more, simply email us at swirlsweet at gmail.com cheers welcome to the swirl suite it is me and my special guest nicholas hi nicholas how are you i'm doing fantastic thank you how are you i'm good i'm good it's starting to warm up i'm very happy about that oh yeah the weather is beautiful right now yes yes yes, yes. so for those who don't know you tell everybody you know who you are and what you do 
Yeah, uh, my name is Nicholas Ducos, and I am one of the owners and the winemaker at Mural City Cellars. Uh, that is Philadelphia's first urban winery. Very nice. And I actually, we met, we met this October. I was in Philly hanging with my girlfriends and Janelle Burgers and Wines, who now lives in Philly. She told me, she was like, you have to go over to meet Nick at Mural City. So I, I saved your Chardonnay. So once I met you and we had a really nice conversation, uh, I saved your Chardonnay. Okay. Oh yeah. My, my favorite. Is this your favorite? Yeah, that was like, that one was close to my heart. I really put a lot of effort into that one. <laughs> okay. Tell me all about it. It is an American Chardonnay. Yeah, it's a barrel fermented Chardonnay. Uh, one of my favorite wines to drink is Burgundy. I love white Burgundy. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's because one of my mentors really grew me, grew me up on Burgundy. Uh, and I thought it'd be so great to try to make a product uh, utilizing grapes from Pennsylvania. Uh, those come from Westchester, so about an hour west of Philadelphia. Um, and all neutral French oak with the exception of one barrel, which is also from Pennsylvania. So we used one Pennsylvania oak barrel. Um, and just try to make like a, a Premier Cru uh, Burgundy style Chardonnay. Um, high acid, very vivacious and fresh, uh, but using everything PA. It's 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 wonderful. It's classic. It's so classic. Thank it's you. yeah. It's a perfect example of a Chardonnay. It's wonderful. Thank you. Only five barrels of that one. So that one. whoa whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I saved production. it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I read an article that you and your partner Francesca, you pick your own grapes. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, uh, we work with small farmers within 30 miles of the city of Philadelphia. And I would say about 85% of the time we're out there picking grapes with them. That's awesome. So let's back up for a second. So you have a bachelor's from the Culinary Institute of America. What did you plan on doing when you finished that program? Where Did you want to be a chef? You know, I... I I did want to be a chef when I got into culinary school. Uh, and I think as I progressed through, just like every 19 year old, they kind of just like things changed along the way. Um, and the intention I think was to do like catering more than anything. I used to work for this catering company uh, in Manhattan called Abigail Kirsch on the Chelsea Piers. It's like this like esteemed catering company. Um, and I really liked that. But then in my bachelor's degree program at CIA, uh, we did a food, wine, and agriculture trip to Spain for a month. Uh, and that changed the whole game for me. It was, it was really, 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 really like just like mind blowing. So you came back, you have this wonderful experience in Spain. So where do you work when you come back? So I come back and uh, I moved to Miami because <laughs> that's what Miami. any smart, so any smart 21 would able to do <laughs> right out of college, you go to Miami. Um, yes, yeah, so I moved to Miami uh, and I started working in a restaurant uh, called Catch. They're a New York based restaurant, but uh, in Miami, they had opened up an offshoot down there. Um, and it was actually uh, working there. Um, initially, I ended up just working as like a, a server, um, but I wasn't really making any money. Right? And I got that student loan payment from that really nice college I went to. And I was like, oh, snap, what do I do? Um, and then one of the servers, uh, her name was Natasha. She was fantastic. She's one of my really good friend at the time. And she said, you got to sell wine. Wine's where you make your money. You add a bottle of wine to the check. The check pretty much goes up. You know, it's harder to put $80 worth of food, right? But an $80 bottle of wine is easy. And they might get another one. And now you're at 160 right? And then 20% of that, that goes in your pocket. Um, and so when that happened, I just kind of was like, All right, I need to learn about wine. And at the time, uh, luckily for, for me and that restaurant, uh, there was a really great sommelier, um, really cool guy. Uh, his name was Mike. And Mike started doing these mandatory wine classes. And once I started doing that, I just never went back. I, you know, I started studying for my intro psalm through the quartermasters. Um, then I ended up getting my certified. Uh, and then I left Catch. And I really wanted to focus because at this point, I was probably like 22, 23. And South Beach was getting a little crazy. Uh, and I need to, I need to like, you know, hone it in. So um, I moved off the beach and I moved to uh, Coral Gables and I worked uh, under an advanced Psalm named Heath Porter, who became my mentor for the next like four years of my life. And really just like, you know, quizzes every week uh, <laughs> type situation, blind tastings every Wednesday at three o'clock. And I really just like dove in. So if, if I may say, um, Akimi of the Roots Fund, her story is somewhat similar when she worked in restaurants. She was trying to figure out how to make money as a server. And she realized that everybody who was selling wine and she in particular, she forced people <laughs> to buy Burgundy. She was like, mm -hmm. that's where all the money was. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy too because I think when I came up um, in that restaurant at Catch, it was very like it was the hitters of California, right? Jordan, Camus, um, lots of Camus, all that stuff. When I went to Uvagio and I was running this wine bar, um, the the gentleman he he was ahead of his time. You know, he we were we were drinking like Kos Rami before Kos was cool. You know, and we're doing some Slovenian skin contacts before orange wine was even hip, you know. And this is, oh my gosh, this has got to be almost eight years ago, you know. So it, it was, it, oh, we were a little wow. bit ahead of the time there. Yeah, it was cool. It was very cool. So I also read that you met your partner in Miami. What made you I guys did. move to Philly? <laughs> I, I did meet her in Miami and she was not excited to move to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, so uh, my partner, Francesca, she's very wonderful and she is the backbone of Mural City. So I will never take credit for anything for uh, Mural City. She runs this thing like a really tight ship. Um, uh, so I met Francesca in Miami, but ironically, Francesca's family's from Philadelphia. She was born just outside the city. She went to Drexel. Um, and I, you know, she's a hospitality kid, restaurant. She's worked at great restaurants in New York City, worked at great restaurants in Miami. Um, but my family, being born in New York, my family was in Brooklyn. And, you know, we were living in Miami. And I did, once I got done working as a sommelier, um, I did decide to like jump ship and I took a job, I did an internship in Napa Valley. So, you know, I, I hopped over to Napa a little bit. Um, then I went to New Zealand. And in this process of like going to Napa, New Zealand, this is kind of like where the concept of Mural City came. And I know we're gonna talk on that later, um, but it didn't make sense to open up this concept in Miami. It's too transient, it's a little too, it's too Instagrammable, Miami. People wouldn't really appreciate it. Um, and so we said, why don't we just take it back home uh, back to the Northeast where urban wineries are not a thing really. Uh, you know, San Diego, there's like nine of them. <laughs> LA, there's a few of them. Um, Oakland, there's like six of them. You know, Seattle, there's like 12 of them. Portland, there's like 30 of them. <laughs> but in Philly, there was zero, you know? Um, I think New York had one. Baltimore didn't have any at the time. Um, so the East Coast is pretty much, was pretty much urban winery free and I didn't understand why. And I thought we could really go in there and really try to change the scene. That's perfect. So how did you decide on the location? You give back. Well, also, like, what is the first thing that you do when you want to start an urban winery? What do you do first? Well, the first thing I did is when we moved to Philadelphia, we didn't open Mural City right away. Um, you know, I had experience making wine in, in uh, Napa Valley, and I've had experience making wine in New Zealand, but I had no experience making wine in the northeastern part of the United States. Uh, the weather's very different. Uh, the grape varietals are very different. So the first thing I did is I said, I need to find a job out here um, that will allow me to actually have some control and some say in like the winemaking process, but also allow me to learn. So I found a job at a winery in New Jersey. I worked there for three years as the assistant winemaker. Um, and in that time, uh, it, was a, it was a 150 acre farm. I think it was about 70 acres planted under vine, mostly vinifera with the one exception of Chamberson, um, which is the only hybrid. And um, we made a lot of wine and there was a lot of time to experiment and play um, and when you're working with a vineyard like that too you can go out every day touch the grapes touch the leaves and I really got to get an idea of like oh man the weather here is very different than California right and then with that I'm taking lots of notes because I'm a very diligent note taker on every wine that we ever made um, every every harvest I have tons and tons and tons of notes um, you know I just take that information and put it all together and then kind of decided, all right, I think we can now go ahead and I feel comfortable after three vintages, three vintages up here. I feel comfortable being able to do this myself. What kind of wines do you produce? Which ones were the first? So when we first opened up, uh, we started off with a Chamberson because I believe that is the strongest red varietal. If you're going to attempt to make reds in the Northeast, that's the strongest red varietal there is. Um, we did Cabernet Franc. Um, we did a Skin Contact. Um, orange wine of two hybrids, which was at the time was Vidal Blanc and Seville Blanc. Nope, sorry, Traminet and uh, Seville Blanc. Um, and those are the three like core MCC wines that we did for the first year. Um, we also act as a negociant, which I think is really important. A lot of people don't understand this model, the negociant model. Um, I call it the Louis Jadot model, uh, which means that we actually make like a, a much more price affordable version of wine. And what we do is we, we work with other wineries in the area for juice uh, finished wine as well. And we make a, sometimes we make like our own house blends and it allows us to bring in a product um, at a lower price point. And the reason why I call it the Louis Jadot model is because Louis Jadot, which everybody knows, it's a beautiful like classic French looking label, but you can get a bottle of Burgundy for like $22. Um, is because they work, they are like the biggest winery in Burgundy, but they source from hundreds of farms all 
around Burgundy, right? So it's like they help out the little guys and then in that turn, the money kind of stays in the area. So um, that's kind of a model that we've adopted here at Mural City. And it really does allow us to bring wines at a good price point. And those wines that we make under that CSW label, which stands for Community Supported Winery, a dollar per bottle gets donated back to nonprofits here in the neighborhood. And in two years, we've donated over $10,000. Wow, that's that's so impressive. Um, when I visited Mural City, was it the wine garden? Uh, we were outside. Is that considered yeah, we, the wine garden? That was the wine garden, yeah, when you visited Mural City. Does that happen like during the winter? The wine Does garden it... actually was a new thing for us. Okay. Um, we, there was an empty lot that was owned by a nonprofit in the neighborhood. Um, it was used before by a brewery um, that had some controversial pasts. And I think the, the nonprofit wanted to bring in a new small business. So they put out an RFP to the neighborhood. Um, and Francesco was like, I want to take this lot and I want to make this the, the coolest community space ever. And let's not do a beer garden. I want to do a wine garden and really take the whole concept of, and flip it upside down. Um, and so we put wrote an RFP. Uh, the neighbors came out. We petitioned. They tasted wine. They asked us tons of questions. And we were going in the brewery, which I will not name, is a mm. very large brewery, huh. uh, which had a really big, big name here in Philadelphia. And I'm sure if you look them up, you'll find it. Um, and we were able to gather the neighborhood support um, after one year being open. And they're like, we want to try a wine garden. So we were able to do that. And we won that RFP through a voting process. Um, and remember, we're a small team. It was just me and Francesca, <laughs> you know, against the world here at this point. Huh, how about that? Well, yeah. yeah, it was it was wonderful. We um we had a good time. There was vendors and mm -hmm. your wine was out there. Yeah, it was perfect. It was during the fall as well. So it was really yeah. nice. It runs in the summertime, um, ends in the fall, ends in October. Uh, and again, the voting the voting happened again over the winter. And once again, we were lucky enough to uh, have won that again. So we will be opening it up again soon. Do you have a tasting room that people can visit during the winter? So we actually, yeah, it's, let me tell you, Mural City growth mode. When we, when we started out, <laughs> when we started out, uh, we started out with maybe 800 cases of wine our first year. Um, and now this year we made a little less than 3000 cases. So there's mm. been a significant jump, uh, being in an urban winery, our warehouse is 1200 square feet from day one. So it's, it's like the size of my row home. That's how, like, it's not, it's not very large, but we managed to put out a lot of product in that little space. Um, so there, we did find a, there was a restaurant that unfortunately went out of business across the street from the wine garden. And we did take that over uh, briefly as a temporary pop-up for the winter. As the garden closed, we need to move somewhere else because the warehouse became just all barrels and tanks at this point. Um, so we took over an, uh, an old restaurant and we did that all winter long. And, uh, and in that process of running that restaurant, we're actually currently building out a brand new winery facility in Fishtown. Um, it's about three times the size of our current facility, and that will be everything. So it's going to be winery meets uh, like <laughs> the best way to think of it. It's like a wine. It's like a winery meets a brewery, uh, and like like a beer garden, but all indoors. It's really beautiful. That's really nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Do you have a, a like a date? Uh, no, 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 because no, no. <laughs> nothing. Because <laughs> you should know, nothing ever goes according to plan. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I just thought especially I'd ask. Yeah. To, especially when it comes to city politics, that's crazy. Can't imagine, especially in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. That's crazy out here. What do you consider your winemaking style? Are you considered natural wine? Because I saw you had some pet nats. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to classify us in a in the category. I I I I feel very strongly about the natural wine movement. Um, just because I think there is no true definition, and I think at this right. point, I was I always joke. I want to say this very delicately, but I think it, now is a great time to not know how to make wine because hmm. I think anybody can get away with it um, as long <laughs> as you can put on a good label, right? I think you can probably sell some stuff. Uh, so for those who are making natural wine, um, you know, good job. I don't think it's gonna last that long though, <laughs> truthfully. I think it is a trend. Um, so we it's call a really long that. trend. Oh no, it's, it's 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 a long trend, and I think I think it's more about like it's more about customer education at this point. Yeah, and and I mean, listen, I, I don't know how many times I have to open up a forty dollar bottle of wine and it be loaded with VA and acetic <laughs> acid, right? Yeah. Where people, eventually, people are going to realize like this company doesn't necessarily make the best natural wine. Mm -hmm. Natural wine is, is a thing, right? They've been making great natural wine in Burgundy, in France, in, in Europe forever, right? There yeah. are producers that are really doing it, but I, I feel like, you know, uh, some people don't, you know, a lot of the new kids don't understand oxygen management. And it's really important if you're going to go down that route of not pitching yeast and not using sulfurs, heavy, heavy oxygen management. And so I think that's something you'll learn over time. 
more than anything. But that wasn't your initial question. So. <laughs> Uh, I love it. <laughs> the, the question is, what do we do? Uh, we're minimal intervention. So we don't add anything to our wines. We do pitch yeast occasionally. We do some wild spontaneous ferments as well. And sometimes we blend them in. Um, but it's all about minimal intervention, bringing in the grapes the way they are. We don't add any food coloring. We don't add sugar to increase alcohol content. Um, I like acidity here on the East Coast. It's You naturally get really great acidity and you actually lack ripeness. Mm -hmm. So it's all about making wines in the style that... Um, exemplify the region around you. So we make a lot of white wine. We make mm -hmm. a lot of rosés, a lot of bubbles, and we make very little reds. Uh, and by that, I mean, we make 13 SKUs a year and only two of them are red. Wow. Huh. Yeah. And it's, it's just what, it's what's, it's what's given to us. You know, I think the East Coast is a sparkling wine region. Yeah, um, and sure. pick, them, pick them off early, pick the grapes off early, have high acidity, uh, right? And like, sort of make sure the farmers get a nice fat check for all the good fruit that you bought from them instead of letting the hurricanes come and wipe it out because you're trying to get sugar. It doesn't make yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. what, do, what would you say your most popular wine is? Pet nut. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. hundred percent, percent. Because um, you have two, right? Like, you have a Riesling and what's the other one? We do we do a white and a rosé every year. Okay. Um, so right right now we had a we had a sparkling pet nut, a Pinot Noir with grapes coming from Seneca Lake. And we also had one of Riesling also from a single vineyard site in Seneca Lake. Uh, this year I made um, a pet nut of Vito Blanc and one of Zweigelt, uh, mm. which are fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they're going to be really big, big sellers. But the pet nut, um, people, it's what's trending in in my city, in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, I think if we were outside of Philadelphia, maybe somewhere, um, if you're familiar with Philadelphia, but there's a, a little bit more of a ritzy area called the main line where most of like the parents live. I don't think we'd sell any pet net, but I think that Chardonnay would have gone quickly. You guys do have a wine club. Tell me about that. The wine club. Yeah, we actually just switched it up. Um, so that, that, that term I had mentioned earlier, CSW, which stands for Community Supported Winery, was built off the model of a CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. Uh, and the idea was initially that you would pay up front uh, for, let's say, six months or a year, and then you would just have a wine pickup every month. So you'd, every month you come in and we would just mix and match two bottles of wine for you. Um, and it worked out really well. Uh, but the problem is that it, what we were doing is we were giving away 15% of sales. Of your mm -hmm. wine, like 15% of your membership would get donated to the nonprofits. The problem is that we were capping it at like 100 people and we were capping it to just like those wines that were in the wine club. So it limited us to how much money we could donate. Um, so what we did is we switched it up. Also, people weren't picking up their wines every month because who has time to go pick up two bottles of wine every month? <laughs> Apparently not a lot of people. So so we switched up and we're doing a more traditional wine club now. So now it's going to be $75 a quarter. It's just going to auto renew and you'll get three bottles of wine instead of two. And so gotcha. it will have one of those CSW wines will be in there. Um, there'll probably be a pet net. Right. And then there's going to be something in the middle price point, something like 28 bucks, like Sauvignon Blanc or maybe like a skin contact Pinot Gris or something like that. Um, and with that, at least in every pickup, there will be that that CSW wine. So there'll still like, be that dollar donation per bottle. So now we're doing um, the CSW wines now have one dollar per bottle donated, which is great because it's not just limited to just the CSW wines. It could be when you pick them up at the shop at De Bruno's, right? If you pick them up at our wine shop, if you buy a, if you go to a restaurant in Philly and they're selling that CSW by the glass, even that bottle that they bought, there's still that dollar donation. So now we've expanded to like thousands and thousands of bottles and thousands and thousands of dollars as opposed to just 15% of sales off the wine club. Very nice. That's really smart. Do you ship? We don't ship. Okay. No, uh, unfortunately we don't ship. Um, I would like to, but I think the logistics are a little bit too difficult, especially with the Pennsylvania liquor yeah. uh, control board reporting. It's ridiculous. Hey everyone, mark your calendars for a Maryland wine experience, April 15th through the 16th. The Maryland Wineries Association presents a Maryland Wine Experience, showcasing the best of Maryland wine in a three-part consumer event. Winemakers, winery owners, and expert winery staff will be on hand to talk about their wines and offer a sneak peek into why they're so passionate about what they do. Focused on exploration and education, you are invited to attend all three parts of a Maryland Wine Experience. All the details will be in the description box, and we're going to be talking a lot more about this in the next few weeks. And also, our very own Leslie will be doing wine tours. We hope to see you all there. Cheers. All right. First closeout question. What do you love about spring? 
what do I love about spring? I feel like today is the true first day of spring, mm. <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, I mean, it's the weather, obviously. It's going out there and being able to smell the leaves and the trees. I mean, now all the leaves in the back of my house, the trees are now putting out some leaves and you can just like smell everything. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, being able to walk without a hoodie on. That was nice yeah. today. I went on a nice five mile walk with just a t-shirt and my kids and a stroller. That was great. Um, yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed just getting out of the house. It was amazing. Um, yeah, my my answer is a little similar, just more of a city answer. I like sitting outside and eating during like happy hour after work. You just see everybody walking the streets and with their shades on, just having a cocktail after work. It's really, yeah. it's really nice. Listen, I wish I could do happy hour, but I now have a one-year-old and she oh. does not allow me to do happy hour. That's all so right. You'll be back it's soon. Like, yeah, it's miserable hour right now. So <laughs> maybe in the future. Okay. Uh, favorite hangover food? Mm. I thought about this one. I was like, hmm, favorite hangover food. But the 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 truth is, it, it's two things. It's a well, it's a classic New Jersey diner. Love it. I okay. I have something about this like diner eggs and mm. uh, grits and rye toast with butter that I just I'm like, this is what I need. Yeah. And there are so many options. I just drive five minutes over the bridge in New Jersey. You're just littered with all these old school diners that have been around for like 30, 40, 50 years. Um, and you just can't, I can't, you can't beat that nostalgia, you know? Yeah. One of our co-hosts, Glennis is from New Jersey and she talks about diners a lot. And she was like the amount of food you get for the price is awesome. Oh yeah. And the culture. I mean, that Italian yeah. culture, I mean, I, you know, Francesca's Italian. I'm all about that culture. Yeah. Um, for me, it is a big sloppy breakfast sandwich. So mm. when I was in, I, I w- when I was in New York for the Roots one a few weeks ago, yeah, it was a really bad hangover, but right across the street was a death was a deli. My God. Breakfast sandwich, fried potatoes. Perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. How was yeah. that? How was that? How was that expo? Was it good? Did you like it? Oh, the root scale? Yeah, it was yeah. great. It, well, yeah. I was working. I was a working sommelier at that, you know, at that event. But it was still That's fun. Cool. I, I learned a whole lot. That's great. Yeah. And my hat's off to everyone who works as a sommelier in a restaurant. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You deal with people and there's also a lot of education, but mostly you deal with people. And yeah. Yeah. People, people suck. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying some controversial stuff here. People suck. It's always one. one. So it's all, it's always <laughs> one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, next question. Hike or bike? Uh, I know I should be hiking, but I typically choose biking, but I should be hiking. Hiking is always in the end. Hike, the hike's always much more better for my cardiovascular system got you um i am not a great bike rider so i'm gonna go mm. with hike yeah i it's learned how to ride a bike yeah. very late in life so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I, I like hiking all day um yeah. and uh go to the hudson valley a lot which is part of my like why i love wine so much it's a great wine up in the hudson valley uh but lots of hiking up there and i would recommend yeah. if you ever have a chance to go to the hudson valley uh, you should go hiking and then afterwards go finish up at a winery, like Hudson Chatham Winery. They're Very a fantastic nice. winery. Yeah, I love them. So lots of good stuff up there. What's something that you nerd out about that people may not know? Aviation. I love flying. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I, I've always wanted to be a pilot. It's still my dream of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was there was times in Miami where I told Francesca, I was like, I don't know. If, I mean, like, I want to start this winery, but I really want to, like, become a pilot. I really do. I love flying. It's been a childhood dream of mine. Um, and I, I'm hoping to get Mural City to the point where I could take some time off or at least take mm-hmm. a step back periodically or we're not in harvest and just start my flying lessons. Huh, how cool is that? I love that. I'm always looking up, always looking up. Huh. Um, for me, I'm, people may know this about me, but I am a complete nerd about TV writing. Really? So. If I if I watch a show and I really really like it, I'm picking it apart. I'm looking at the writers. Well, who wrote that? And I wonder why they wrote that that way. So my mm. latest obsession is the show called Swarm by Donald mm. Glover, and mm-hmm. it's 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 wild. It's wild because it's a mix of a true story and his fiction, and it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and you're, and you're, but and I you're love thinking it. on it. Yeah, you're thinking on it on another level. People are just taking it in. You're thinking about it and processing it and yeah. asking questions on why they wrote it like that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you even enjoy the show at that point? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I watch a lot of shows twice. 
Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm home. Uh, I'm home a lot. I telework yeah. most of the days. So I'll have something on in the background. But yeah, I watch those uh, more than once, especially the ones that I really like. So That's yeah. fantastic. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. What was your last great meal? Uh, uh, this morning was my breakfast. My, this, this morning's breakfast was my last great meal. Um, Francesca made arepas with... Wait, what um, is that? An arepa, it's like a Mexican cornmeal um, mixed with like flour and water. Um, and you just kind of like sear it in, a, in like a cast iron. And then you can put, most people put like, you put cheese on it or you put like ground meat. Huh. Um, and she So it's not like a pancake. Uh, it could be like a pancake, but if it's thick enough, it's 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 nice. It's a little bit thicker okay. than a pancake, a little drier too. Okay. Uh, but, you know, she did two fried eggs, avocado and some cheese on top. But the, oh, yeah. the joy of it was um, having to sit there with my daughter and also drink it. I mean, to eat it. Um, she, it's her first time trying Fun, fun foods like this and yeah me her me just sitting there just like eating this thing she's just sitting in my lap um it's a joy and i was like yes yeah. i told myself i was like this is such a great breakfast oh breakfast yeah. what a great story that sounds really good by the way it was really great it was fantastic and then when she's not you know when she's done she just throws it on the floor and then the dog well, eats it. yeah that's what they do yeah that's what they do. <laughs> that's what they do. um my last great meal was this past weekend. There is a restaurant in DC called Namako and it's Japanese. So mm. fresh sushi, miso soup, crab salad. Um, uh, just, it was just so good. It was really, really good. Yeah. And it was, yeah. yeah. Ladies night. It was a good time. My runner up was a sushi meal that I had recently, but <laughs> most mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, Nick, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I, like I said, it's an honor to be on this. Um, I can't wait to show more people and tell more people about this. And I've had a couple friends on here as well, like Ray Scholes down in Miami, who I used to work yeah. with. Yeah, I used to work with Ray Scholes at that wine bar with Vajir that I was telling you about. So we come up from the same from the same roots. I was with him in New uh, York. Yeah, it was our first yeah, time meeting a- in person. He's a very talented and passionate person. My uh, goodness, nice he was really good. He was a really good it's leader. Good. It's it's he's a great leader, and it's nice to see his um. It's nice to see his career really just blowing up, and and he's he's doing a great job. And yeah. shout out to Ray. If you see me, you don't text me enough. Give me a call. I don't know why you're not texting <laughs> me or calling me, but I see you on Instagram. Tell everybody one more time where they can find Mural Cities yeah. and where they can follow you. Yeah, Philadelphia's first urban winery, Mural City Cellars, uh, located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, you can find us at muralcitycellars.com, uh, Instagram at Mural City Cellars, and uh, we have the Mural City Wine Garden as well. And uh, yeah, just keep an eye out on some new wines coming out. You know, here's a fun fact for you. We've never actually made the same wine twice because we don't have to really? because we don't have a vineyard. So huh. uh, every year we've made different wines. Uh, and I mean, like every year we've made it, I've yet to repeat it, to repeat a project. Huh. So there's always new stuff coming down the pipeline. That's exciting. Do you like it that way? I do. It's challenging. Um, <laughs> we may use the same vineyard once in a while, but even mm-hmm. like the winemaking style, like we'll take Chamberson one year, make Rosé. We'll take it the next year, make Petnet. Mm-hmm. We'll take it the next year, do, we'll do Carbonic and do like a Nouveau style. Um, it keeps it, it keeps it fresh for me. Got and, you. Um, are, are you going to dip into z- desserts at all? Dessert wines? There's not a market for it where we are. Gotcha. And, uh, okay. a, a, a wise uh, mentor once told me, we never make wines that you like to drink. You make wines that sell if you're going to run a business. So hmm. well, in the end, sure. it is a business. Yeah. Got to keep the, got to put the roof over the head. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. on that note, thank you so much. Yeah. Cheers, everyone. Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for joining this world suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave us five stars and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Vine Me Up. Glenn is at Vino Noir. Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha. Vino 301 is Leslie. And you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vine Me Up Media.